Hi there and welcome to another Careers in Health podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. Joining me today is Dr. James Cox. James is an orthopaedic surgeon with a special interest in hip and knee arthroplasty, sports knee reconstructions and major trauma including pelvic injuries. James, welcome to the podcast. Welcome Todd, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. James, what was your what was it about orthopedics which first attracted your attention? Um, I'd say I've always been surgical. I always thought I was going to become a surgeon of some type, but I'll admit I didn't know anything about orthopedics until my orthopedic rotation, maybe third year medicine, when you do your first placement. And I was immediately attracted to the what I thought was the simplicity of diagnosis and the clear aims of the specialty, even though it turns out in hindsight there are a few, there's obviously a lot more subtleties <laughs> to it than that. But originally it felt like, you know, X-ray, bent, bro- you know, broken arm, it's bent. What do you have to do? Obviously, we just have to straighten it, or you know, tendon's been cut. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. We just have to repair it, rather than some of the more subtle specialties of. Yep. You know, raise CRP with abdominal pain, what could it be? Well, it's probably this, but it could be all sorts of other stuff. It seemed fairly clear. If you've broken your forearm, it's obvious what's wrong and what needs to be done. Yep. Did it turn out the way that you thought it might? Um, it did, essentially, in that there is often clear diagnoses that are obvious with simple investigations. So you don't spend a lot of time on diagnostics. You spend most of your time on treatment and management and risk and benefit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably that when I first got interested in orthopedics, I just happened to hang out with a group of orthopedic registrars that I got along with well at the time, no doubt. And you end up sort of feeling like, this looks like fun. Or this, you know, you had one or two mentor registrars that were interesting when you were a med student. Yep. Yeah, these are good guys and girls to hang out with. Mostly guys, admittedly, back then, but more and more girls. Did the, um, does the procedural side of things, doing things with your hands appeal? Is that one of the reasons why this was attractive to you? Yeah, I, um, I have always liked the technical aspect of surgery and especially orthopedics. I like the you know, hammers and the drills and the chisels and the, <laughs> the mechanical aspect of it. Yep. I, you know, I like making a set of drawers as a cupboard, although I'm not particularly good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I still enjoy, you know, having... And in the home, getting around with drills and yeah. putting up paintings and that sort of silly stuff. I like that sort of stuff. So give us a snapshot of what a normal day would look like for you. So a normal day um, is usually either theatre or clinic-based, depending, I suppose, on the day. So on your clinic days, um, you, in your practice, you know, we'll see a lot of presentations that are normally... Again, they're normally quite clear diagnoses before they even get to you. So it'll be, you know, please see this person with knee pain. And then, you know, you're taking a basic history and working out that it's, you know, what are the functional limitations of the pain and what's it like? And then your x-ray hopefully shows arthritis and then you're starting to talk to them about, you know, is it getting to the point that your symptoms are bad enough you want to have a big operation? Yeah. Um, Sometimes, obviously, you are doing more subtle investigations of I've got hip pain, but actually, is it coming from my knee or is it coming from my back or is it coming from my hip and those sort of things. Um, And other times, people are coming into you to say, I've got this problem and I'm hoping there's a simple operation and you're sort of explaining to them that there isn't a simple operation. There is a big one, but are you really sure it's bad enough you want to have the big one? Yeah. Because obviously, you can't usually just take a tablet and it goes away for most of the stuff that we do. Yeah. Um. But then other days you'll be doing theatre days and the theatre days obviously are booked in advance and it'll depend on your own schedule. But most people probably spend something like one day of theatre 
and two days of clinic, I would think, in a normal, you know, something along the lines of you've got to do at least twice as much clinic usually to fill up your theatre lists and to follow up your post-ops and pre-ops and those sort of things. What's the theatre environment like? The theatre environment is very good usually because I suppose especially because the truth is you're at the top of the pyramid of the theatre environment. Yeah. You know, you're respected by your colleagues and um, you're essentially the boss of what you want to put on it and what order you want to do things in and how you want things to be arranged. And so yeah. as long as you're willing to take the, um, the leadership to lead the team, yep. then and as long as you are able to work with other people, because even though you're the leader, certainly you have anaesthetists and nursing staff and all sorts of other people that you need to work with, and if they don't like you, it will become very clear and it will make your life very difficult. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, what are the sorts of things that you derive pleasure from in your day? Um, what are the things that inspire you, get you to work every morning? Um, I do like the technical challenge of the surgery. I like, you know, opening up someone's hip and replacing it with a hip replacement is a satisfying operation to do, just technically. Um, and I also like that most of the time the operations that we do have very good functional outcomes. And so the patients, when they're coming back at six weeks, are normally saying this is life-changing, fantastic. Yeah. Because of that, though, you don't have a lot of long-term patients that you are involved with regularly because the truth is the better the operation goes the less you have to see them usually right. yeah <laughs> so that routine follow-up of your hip replacement might be you see them at two weeks to check their wound and see them at six weeks to check that they're happy and you see them again at one year almost as a formality and, and you don't often it. see them again yeah right the ones you see a lot are the ones that are not happy or are ongoing or having problems but the better they are the less likely they need to come back and see you again and those ones who do come back who have had things not go the way that you would have liked, are mm. they more challenging to manage? Yeah, much more challenging. And the biggest difficulty as a surgeon, I think, is that the complications that are yours stay with you often for a long time. And you can often, you know, you're often, I suppose you get to know those patients very well. Yeah. But they're also the ones that are difficult, especially because usually there is not a simple answer to fix the problem or otherwise you would have done it by now. Yeah. And so the ones that are the particularly difficult problems are the ones that don't have easily fixable problems. Yeah. And you're either managing the expectations of where to go from here or you're managing the, you know, essentially, I'm sorry it hasn't gone as well as we'd hoped, but there really is very little we can do at this point. Yeah. And we might just have to put up with what you've got, which is obviously a fairly difficult conversation to have. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that... Um, your initial perception of orthopaedics was that there's a problem and there's a solution. And it strikes me that way from the outside, but is mm. there a lot of problem solving that you need to do? Do you need to adapt your techniques? Is it a creative specialty, do you think? Um, I mean, there certainly is a lot of subtlety to the specifics of what you do. So, yes, if you have end-stage knee arthritis that is causing functional limitation, the diagnosis is normally quite clear and the treatment is, a knee, is consideration of knee replacement and whether it be rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis doesn't make much difference. Mm. Um, there are certainly technical aspects to the deformities and previous surgery and stuff which are challenging um, and need to be 
considered both surgically and preoperatively with regard to the planning of what you do and which implants you're going to use and are you going to change your routine exposures because of that. But most of the time the diagnoses and the treatments are fairly non-specific, I suppose. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, that's with hip and knee arthroplasty, it's mostly like that. But then the things like knee reconstructions and, you know, is my clicking symptom actually coming from my undisplaced meniscal tear or not? And often it isn't, but then you're trying to work out what the clicking is coming from and then you're yep. trying to decide, are you interested in actually having an operation for something that it is quite possible that you don't need to have an operation for? It is a little bit interesting, I think, in the last 10 or 15 years, certainly since I've been training and finished a lot of the stuff that we used to operate on routinely and everyone said this does well with an operation but that was the mantra I'd always been taught yep. and then more and more now especially driven to be honest by NHS studies that have showed cost benefit they've often found things like Achilles tendon ruptures often do well if you don't treat them with an operation as long as you follow this specific rehab protocol which it used to be more of neglect yeah. didn't do so well so an operation was better right but now there is more and more evidence things like oh if you don't operate on them but you fix them with this particular rehab protocol the 12 month outcomes are the same yeah or things like displaced clavicle fractures that we often used to fix and now there'll be just as many articles that say it turns out if you ignore these things they do well the vast majority of the time those sorts of things it's interesting the number of non-operative articles that came out um the most famous ones are things like knee arthroscopy for early arthritis, which I must say it certainly struck, struck me through my training. This does not seem like an operation that's likely to make a big difference. Right. And it certainly doesn't. What about your specialty irritates you? What, what are the things that you find frustrating? I am frustrated a little bit about the drift away from the classical professionalism that used to exist with my colleagues that it certainly again 15 years ago there was more more work than there were orthopods and so I feel like it was a bit less competitive back then whereas it is unfortunately like everything else becoming more competitive supply and demand mm. and it was thought that as long as everyone sort of you know doesn't advertise too specifically and tries to be professional about trying to let you know work grow organically from word of mouth and good that hasn't happened. So there are certainly colleagues that are actively advertising and trying to say they're the best thing since sliced bird and they've got the newest, most amazing knee replacement that is better than the other ones that everyone else uses, yep. which usually is not the case. It's just that the advertising is now getting driven more and more, like so many other things, I suppose. Mm. But it wasn't really much of a part of orthopedics and medicine 20 years ago. Yeah. And it feels like it definitely is now. And you don't necessarily win by saying, I'm not going to be one of those guys because most of us don't. But the 10% that advertise every day on the radio and the newspaper do have very busy practices, I must yeah. admit. Now, presumably that is most predominantly seen in the private practice sphere. Yeah, it's all, that's all purely private practice. Clearly the public practice, there is no, there is no reason to advertise because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. We have no shortage of work to do in the yeah. public. <laughs> you don't need more. How do you see your specialty evolving over the next 10 years? Will it be different for somebody listening to this podcast now who becomes a specialist in 2030, for example, compared with what uh, it is now? 
Um, yes and no. So, I mean, certainly the subtleties of orthopedics have changed significantly in the last 15 years, just the technical ways that we do knee replacements and the jigs that we use and the implants that we use are, you know, grossly the same, but there's certainly subtle technical differences of yep. the way things are done, which are improvements, incremental improvements. There aren't many huge jumps, obviously, that huge jumps are rare. Yeah. And... I suppose, as I suggested, things like the approaches to certain conditions that may be operative or non-operative now are likely to change when different treatments become available. But equally, I can't imagine there's going to be much they do for knee replacement, uh, for knee arthritis, for example, at the moment, or for instability for your ruptured ACL, other than consider reconstructing your ACL. There's never likely to be a tablet that's going to fix your torn ACL. The only way is ever going to be some version of reconstructive surgery to fix it um on the precipice stem cells and all the equivalent things to try to prevent arthritis have been discussed for as long as i've been around and i'm sure will continue to be discussed Mm. it hasn't yet got to the point that they've got any good evidence to prove that stem cells can stop or reverse arthritis but maybe in the future that will happen yeah and I must say that will be very... <laughs> It'll be great for the patients if they come up with some simple treatment that actually reverses arthritis. Yeah. My gut feeling is that it's more likely that it will be a treatment that they use in early disease to slow the progression of arthritis or maybe even after minor injury, you take a treatment that means that you never get that early damage which then progresses. Yeah. So that if you injure knee in your 20s, they might say, oh, well, if you just take this stem cell for the next 12 months, yep. you will hopefully prevent the arthritis that normally develops in the next 20 years. Yep. That's yep. my gut feeling is how it's going to happen. James, you've got specific fellowship um, interests that we mentioned earlier in the introduction, but what's the breadth of opportunities for, for orthopaedic surgeons to perhaps subspecialise, as it were? Orthopaedics is actually a very varied specialty, Um, I suppose it originally branched off as either general or orthopedics and so it took on all of the musculoskeletal side of the body and certainly the especially varies from spinal surgery to trauma surgery to arthroplasty surgery to hand surgery and so there are colleagues of mine that say just do hand surgery and actually their practice is all microsurgery and finger replants and tendon reconstructions in hands using a microscope and loops often which is zero percentage of my practice with hips and knees but therefore there is actually all sorts of both subtle and major you don't have to use a big hammer to chisel in orthopedics because lots of the operations don't use them at all yeah um i certainly recall seeing plenty of bleary-eyed orthopedic registrars (laughs) during my time in in hospitals um it has a reputation of being a very tough training program what is it really like um, and what is involved in becoming an orthopaedic surgeon? It is a very tough training program, as are many specialties and certainly most of the surgical specialties. Um, it's also increasingly um, competitive mm-hmm. in that I think it's always been... Actually, no, that's not even true. Uh, 20 years ago, they had less orthopaedic registrars applied than they had positions in Queensland. Wow. So they had six applicants for eight jobs. And there are certainly stories from that generation when people would say, you look like you're a good guy, 
certainly back then it was definitely you're a good guy no girls yeah. it was if you shave your beard off you could probably be an orthopedic registrar right. and that would be it and next thing you know you're on but now it's something like 150 orthopedic registrars in or PHOs in Queensland for eight jobs wow so that's spread over a few years certainly but there are you know way more applicants than there are jobs in Queensland yeah and so that is making it very difficult, certainly, for the people that are planning. I like to think that the good people are always going to get through, but there are certainly examples of good people that haven't, mm. that you know, probably should have, but obviously with something as competitive as that, there's always going to be things that slip through the cracks. Yeah. And it will. It, you have to consider that, I think. But certainly the truth is if you are planning on doing orthopedics and you know it's extremely competitive, you know that you're not going to get on if you're in the middle of the curve. Because if they're only ever going to take the top end of the curve and you're not in the top, you're never going to get there no matter how hard you try. And so I think that needs to be honestly considered by everyone that's sort of thinking, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Do you love it? Oh, kind of. But if, like, if you don't love it, you're not going to be able yeah. to apply yourself enough at the start to get to the front of the curve to get on. Yeah. And the truth is, if you don't love it, it would. it's a tough training program even if you do love the game. And you couldn't do it if you didn't like the game because you're not doing the training program because you like the training program. You're doing it to get out the other end, certainly. Like, it's nice being a consultant, but it was brutal being a registrar. What was the impact like for you on your home life? I know you've got yeah. um, a family and young kids. Yes, yeah, so I had my first child four weeks into my first training job of, my, of the five-year program. And I had three kids over the program only because my wife didn't work for yeah. the entire time I was training. Yeah, because it wouldn't have worked at all otherwise. Um, and yeah, it was exhausting. I was, you know, on average, you're going into the hospital at six six thirty in the morning, and you're coming home at seven o'clock at night, and you're doing twelve something days at the hospital routinely, and then weekends on call and all that sort of stuff. And that has changed a little bit. That certainly, when I first started, we often did whole weekends on call. And they were awful and you'd get a couple of hours sleep and then you'd be expected on Monday just to lob up and crack on and you'd have a double cappuccino and another one at 10 o'clock, <laughs> another one at 12 o'clock. And <laughs> but that is changing? And that is changing um, partly because of orthopedics, but more so just because the medical fraternity is obviously not accepting. Yeah. You know, and fair enough, it's crazy to try to work a yeah. 100-hour week and then expect to give you a game every day. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the rostering is not allowing that to happen as much anymore and there are certainly clear rules with fatigue that everyone follows so that if you work overnight, you don't work the next day. So mostly from a rostering point of view, we now have night registrars that just do nights rather yep. than the day registrar follows on and keeps going. Yep. Finally, is there a particular character type who would excel at orthopedics or is it something that is more general than that, that people with multiple uh, positive traits could would explore it certainly is more general in that the orthopedic surgeons that I know are a very varied bunch of guys and girls that there are certainly some um, eccentric and weird types to be fair to say <laughs> unfortunately we're not we weren't renowned for our uh, personalities 20 years ago we were just oaths with two big hammers and a stick and a yep. you know big hands yep. but actually that has definitely changed, I think. I'm not sure whether it's because it's become more competitive, so we don't have to just let in everyone that has an interest. We get to pick the ones that are friendly and personable and committed and 
mean, so it's, 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 it's a fantastic change that we at least don't just have to pick the guy whose dad was an orthopod that wants to do orthopedics. Yeah. We get to now pick the top eight people out of 100 applicants and therefore we get some really good people involved. And it is very slowly changing to allow more and more women into the specialty. Although the truth is there are very, the, a much lower percentage of women are applying. So it's not like it's 50-50 applicants and therefore it's hardly surprising mm. that it's more like 10% yeah. women in the specialty. Yeah. Um, but they're getting the support. There's getting, at least they've got a few more colleagues now that are women that have got through that are able to support them. There's a whole orthopedic women's link that tries to support women in orthopedics and at least it gives them a few more mentors to look forward to rather than just looking up and seeing that everyone isn't a male and yeah. you know, it, was a, it was a tough game 20 years ago and it wasn't good for anyone. There is a perception that you need a certain physical attributes, I suppose, you need to be big <laughs> and strong to be an orthopedic surgeon. Is that the reality? Yeah, um, it's certainly not. Um, that whilst there is a small part of the physical exposure needed, and certainly during your training, you will at times have to manipulate a large femur, which yeah. is difficult. Yeah. Well, the vast majority of orthopedics is not about strength, but it's about using the right hammer or, or using the right lever. And yeah. then certain parts of orthopedics, again, such as hand surgery, there's no strength at all required. Mm. It's much more about the intricacies and technical aspects of surgery. James Cox, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks very much, Todd. Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at www.oslocommunity.com.